Hey, it's Sarah. Before we kick off today's episode, I wanted to say everything you're about to hear is not all that unusual in the workplace, nor is it unique only to me. I also want to say that I'm not blaming a specific individual or even a specific group of people. What I am trying to shine a light on are the systems that continue to allow these types of experiences to remain normal and the lack of leadership training that people who are promoted to positions of management receive that completely disregard the importance of fostering safe and supportive workplaces. Humans in positions of management that perpetuate these environments are as much victims of the system as the rest of us. That is part of the work I'm trying to do with my business and with this podcast. If any of this episode resonates with you, please know I see you. Welcome to the Business Blasphemy Podcast, where we question the sacred truths of the online business space and the reverence with which they're held. I'm your host, Sarah Khan, speaker, strategic consultant, and BS-busting badass. Join me each week as we challenge the norms, trends, and overall bullshit status quo of entrepreneurship to uncover what it really takes to build the business that you want to build in a way that honors you, your life, and your vision for what's possible, and maybe piss off a few gurus along the way. So if you're ready to commit business blasphemy, let's do it. Hello, hello, blasphemers. I have had a few people recently ask me how the concept for corporate rehab came to be because my business wasn't always called this. When I started my business, it was, well, it's gone through several iterations, but most recently it was called Lynchpin Virtual. Lynchpin because I have a love of wordplay and the word lynchpin just, it epitomized what I was striving to be, right? That bridge, that lynchpin between where a client is and where they want to be. And it worked for a very, very long time. Corporate rehab, the evolution of that, it happened pretty naturally and pretty unexpectedly as I stepped further and further into my values, really understood and honored my own journey into entrepreneurship. And it really all started mid to late 2021. When I was looking for some documents on my laptop and I came across a file titled Resignation Letter, Sarah Khan, November 2020. Of course, I'd clicked on it. I was curious to see what exactly I'd written. I mean, I'd sent resignation letters in the past, but this one was different because this one that I sent on November 20th, 2020 was the letter that effectively ended my 20 plus year career as an employee. Not to the same employer for 20 years. I'd moved from place to place over my career. I took a lot of contract positions because frankly, they allowed me flexibility. They allowed me opportunities for growth. And I've had some pretty amazing opportunities over my career. I've worked for two of the big four professional services firms in the United Kingdom. I've worked for a private design firm that did massive, massive events. I worked for two universities, both as an administrator and as an instructor and a college, a business college. I worked in telecommunications, I've worked in sports, and I've worked in entertainment. And I'd resign from each one to move on to something else, usually within one to three years. But this one, this one was my longest, nine years, because I loved it. I loved teaching in a way I've never loved any job before that. And so I gave it my absolute all. I was the model employee, and it broke me. It was the proverbial straw. So I clicked on the file. I read the letter. It started off generically enough with, you know, grateful for my time and take this as my notice, et cetera, et cetera. Here's a little backstory. I had requested to use banked vacation time, of which I had nearly 40 days because I was not being allowed to continue using medically approved sick time, stress leave, basically. And I didn't want to come into the office to work my notice. The last paragraph where I asked for directions on how and where to return company property reminded me why. I would appreciate not having to deal with anyone in my department directly in this matter. 
Y'all, that is how broken I was. That is how scarred I had become. That the thought of going back to my office to return their things and collect mine, I absolutely wouldn't do it. And if you know me, I'm not one to shy away from much. So what had happened in a nutshell? I suffered an injury to my eye, thank you to a toddler and a jagged nail edge. Basically, I'd injured my eye and I was asked by the eye doctor not to look at screens for at least a week just to give my eye some time to rest. It wasn't terrible. I had a scratch over my cornea. And if you've ever had like a a scratch over your cornea, it's pretty fucking painful. They said it would heal within a week or so just to, you know, stay off screens, give it time to rest, give it time to heal. So I asked my boss, I said, can I have a week off just to give my eye time to heal? And we were in the middle of a pandemic. I didn't have the capacity to go into the office and work on a desk. I had to work at my computer. And my boss said no. Now, in the grand scheme of things, that may not seem like a huge deal. Slap an eye patch on, Sarah. Rest one eye and use the other one. I mean, there were a lot of things I could have done, but that no came at the end of what had been, honestly, just a horrible few months. The no had come after months of being suddenly told I had to account for every moment that I spent offline during the working day. Every meeting that I was in, I had to account for who was in the meeting with me, what we were doing, how long we were in that meeting. I had to account for how long I was taking lunch. And woe betide, anytime a child showed up in the background of my Zoom calls in the morning, they started to tell me that every time the kids were in the room, I wasn't actually working. Now, again, we were in a fucking pandemic. We were all working from home. We were in a lockdown. The kids were home. My husband was home. I was home. There was no way for them to go anywhere else. And I found it a little bit unreasonable. But, you know, me being the model employee, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll do my best. And it just came to a head one day when, you know, my little one was like, no, I need to be with mama right now. And so the stress of having to manage not only every second of my time, but suddenly again, feeling like I had to account for where my kids were every time I was in a Zoom call with my boss or my team, it just, it didn't sit well with me. And I remember going to the doctor because I was having heart palpitations and I had stomach pains every morning and I had this migraine that just wouldn't go away. And my doctor looked at me and said, girl, you need to go on leave. You need to rest. You're under a lot of stress. So you need to go on stress leave. And in all of my 20 years, 20 plus years, I had never gone on stress leave. I had barely taken sick days. In fact, I had racked up so many sick days in this last that I probably could have been off sick for over a year legitimately. And so I went on stress leave for 30 days. And that stress leave gave me the space to truly acknowledge how much I'd endured over the years, not just from individual people, but entire departments. You know, the years of gaslighting, emotional and mental manipulation, micromanagement, disrespect and disregard, even abuse, it all came rushing back to me. I started to see things differently, right? Things that I had swallowed down and ignored, forced myself to try to forget or gaslit myself into believing I was being oversensitive about or had imagined. And so after 30 days on stress leave, I couldn't stomach going back. And when they denied the extension of my stress leave, I quit. A, it was really the only thing I could do at that point because I was not going to go back. But B, that time away really made me realize how much of my freedom I'd given away. My autonomy, my ability to choose to put my family over my work on any given day. And I know there are a lot of women entrepreneurs out there who are going to understand that and resonate with it because I'm sure you've been through similar experiences. 
Truth be told, being an entrepreneur was never my intention or my goal for the vast majority of my life. I liked being able to let someone else worry about the day-to-day and just come in and do the job that I was really, really good at and collect a paycheck. But this last experience was the one that finally made me see it wasn't healthy anymore. I needed to have autonomy. I needed to have agency. Two things that were slowly being stripped away from me. And so I became the reluctant full-time entrepreneur. Now, I want to pause here for a second and just explain that when I say corporate rehab, it isn't just about women who've worked in a big corporation. I truly believe it applies to most traditional workplace settings because the corporate way is ingrained in all of us. And as a result, that's how business is conducted more or less everywhere. And you know what I'm talking about? The expectation of hustling, not taking breaks that you're contractually allowed to take because you need to prove in some weird way that you're a dedicated go-getter or a team player. And it's worse for women. How the company always comes first. Policies and procedures that are in place to put profit before people. It's just how our society has always done business, no matter what the sector or the industry. And so when I left, because I'd had enough, here's the reality. I brought that shit with me. The way many of us who come from a traditional workplace background do. We bring that work ethic. We bring those behaviors, the belief system of my worth is tied to my productivity and my, and my achievement. We bring all of that into our businesses because quitting doesn't solve it. Quitting doesn't make it go away. Leaving doesn't suddenly fix the years of programming that we are subjected to in many corporate spaces or traditional workplaces, particularly as women. And I know I'm not alone in that experience. We start businesses thinking we're taking back control of our lives, our freedom, our future. But those toxic practices, those insidious beliefs that we learned in corporate, those behaviors that we were made to normalize, they show up in our business. And that is how corporate rehab came to be. Because in those first few years of my business, my experience and my expertise, you know, the things that I thought were going to be huge assets as an entrepreneur. And I mean, don't get me wrong. They were and they are. They were also my biggest obstacle. And all I ended up doing was creating another job for myself. The training, the knowledge, the experience, they actually ended up being like a double-edged sword. They were keeping me from truly thriving in my business. They were impacting everything from how I showed up for clients, how I structured the back end of my business, the values I was professing to hold, the offers I was putting out. When I understood this, everything changed. And I identified a whole host of limiting beliefs and toxic practices that kept me from truly thriving in my business. And that's when corporate rehab was born because I started to see those same patterns in the women that I was working with. Women who had come from corporate environments, traditional workplace settings, they were bringing all of that with them when they were starting their businesses and they were just jacking themselves up the same way I was. So today I want to share with you the most common beliefs that I realized I needed to rehabilitate in order to really step into the kind of business and the kind of life that allowed me not only to heal from all the shit that I'd been through, but that allowed me to build my business in a way that felt good to me and allowed me to live in a way that felt aligned with who I was becoming and who I desired to be. Belief number one is the idea that time is money. In the workplace, we're taught that time equals money. The more time we spend on something, the more valuable it is. The more you hustle, the bigger the result. The the overtime that we put in was a badge of honor, that you had to be chained to your desk from nine to five in order to be productive. I remember having a boss that used to walk the floors every morning at nine o'clock to make sure everyone was in their cubicle in the cube farm. And if you were a minute late, five minutes late, they would let you know and say, you owe us that time at the end of the day. And so when you're coming from an environment where you had to punch a clock or fill in a timesheet in order to get paid. When you come into business, 
that's a huge mindset shift for a lot of us to make. You know, for those of us who had to account for every minute we spent, when you transition into the online business space as a, let's say, a service provider, you maybe start by offering buckets of hours to your clients. That's totally fine. But that's what you're doing. You're equating your time with your money. When you're starting out as an entrepreneur, that's not a bad idea because it's good to be able to have a frame of reference for how long tasks take you and how long you want to work with clients, what tasks you want to provide. So there's nothing wrong with charging for your time, but it does start to get complicated when you want to raise your rates. And yes, there are schools of thought on pricing and how to raise your prices and when to raise them. And I addressed part of that in another episode. I think it was episode two. So if you want to learn about pricing, go back and listen to that. But for now, understand that I had to really shift my own mindset and beliefs around time and money. I had to start understanding that being chained to my desk for eight hours every day didn't necessarily equal income or growth or even productivity. But in those early days, I did just that. I sat at my desk at 8 a.m. every morning. I took 30 minutes for lunch, usually ate that at my desk because the kitchen was just down the hall. And then I didn't log off until four or five o'clock. In the workplace, you have to be there from nine to five in order to get paid, regardless of what you're doing. Not as a business owner. Some days it's 24-7, others it's less. But the key shift you have to make here is that value is money, not time. You know, you start asking yourself questions like, what value are you providing your clients? What activities are you engaging in for your own business that are adding value to you, your clients, or to your own business growth? It has very little to do with time spent. And the truth is, as you hone your craft, you'll get more and more efficient. And so charging by the hour will actually make you less money. When you look at your working hours, you know, are you still spending a full eight hours a day in your business every single day? If you are and you truly love it, that's totally cool. I actually like working. So I do work a full day. I don't work eight hours. I work six, but I do genuinely enjoy working. So you would just have to ask ask yourself, right? Are you working the kinds of hours that you want to work? Because another mindset shift is embracing the reality that you get to choose when and how long you work for every single day. And that can feel really, really edgy, especially if you've been a time clock puncher. You're allowed to take time off without guilt. You're allowed to take a break in the middle of the day or whenever you want to go watch TV with your kids or go for a walk. You get to have lunch with friends once in a while. You get to set your own schedule and it's safe to do that. And I know that that takes time. So if you want to detox the belief that time is money, start asking yourself the following questions. And just as an aside, I will link a workbook that I shared to do just this in the show notes. So don't worry about writing these questions down. Click the link in the show notes when you're done this episode and you can download the workbook for free. Ask yourself, what parts of your day or your week do you want to reserve just for you? And which do you want to reserve for your family? Right? What activities or events are non-negotiable every day or every week that you want to commit to making time for? What hours do you want to be available for clients or for work? What hours do you want to be away from your work or inaccessible to clients so that you can focus on your business? What results do you get for your clients? And how can you restructure your offers to start charging for the value versus the time spent? These are just some of the things you can start asking yourself to start detoxing your belief that time is in fact money. And don't feel bad if this takes you time. It's taken me nearly a year to feel okay about blocking off 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. every single day and then 3.30 to 5 p.m. every single day. I am not available during those times anymore because I want to be there to drop my kids off in the morning, get them breakfast, get them out the door, and I want to be able to pick them up. But I'll tell you, it took work. So give yourself some grace. Just start by crafting a schedule, a loose schedule, because you're allowed to change your schedule from week to week based on the answers to the questions that I ask. And remember, nothing is set in stone. You can adjust and pivot as necessary and as feels right for you. Because again, it's your business, your time, your choice. Belief number two, the second belief that I had to fix was how I viewed my clients. In the workplace, the boss is the boss. They pay you, so they call the shots. 
there's a clear hierarchy. You have a boss, a supervisor, someone who is an authority. There are set rules and unspoken deference to the most senior person in the room. There's very little scope for asking questions or advocating for yourself or setting firm boundaries around your time and energy. We bring that into our businesses and treat our clients like our employers. Now, if you're hired as an employee, yes, your employer gets to dictate your working day and your working time. But as a freelancer or an independent contractor, you work with your clients not for them. And that mindset shift is huge because it requires you to stand in a power that you have, but that has not always been allowed to flourish. And so that is where maybe a coach comes in or a mentor who can help you understand how you want to show up and what boundaries you want to practice. Someone who can help you uncover what you'd like your relationships to look like. Because until you shift this mindset, no matter what kind of client you have, that belief can keep you from holding boundaries with clients, including saying no. And you do feel very much like you're in a boss employee situation. And it's not easy to just shift from an employee mindset to a business owner mindset. It can often feel like our clients hold all the chips because they're the ones paying us for a service. Services. And we've heard most of our lives, the customer's always right, right? One of the things I encourage all of my clients to do is create a document called What It's Like to Work With Me. And that document outlines their working hours, the holidays they'll be taking, how they prefer to communicate, like answering Voxers or emails, and the times that they'll be doing that. Hell, it took me three years to write mine to actually include the fact that I have kids, they'll be in the Zoom room once in a while, and if that's a problem, we can't work together. That's actually in my document, and it's in my contracts. I spent a lot of time hiding my kids in my career, and I refuse to do that anymore. It's uncomfortable. It is so, so uncomfortable to say no to a client, to say no to someone who's paying you, whether it's because they're overstepping boundaries, like calling or sending messages at all hours or expecting you to respond at the drop of a hat or simply disregarding the scope of what you agreed to work to. But as a business owner in your own right, you have the right and the freedom to set rules about how clients will engage with you. One of those tools is that document, what it's like to work with me or how I work with clients, whatever you want to call it. And if this is where you feel like your beliefs are jacking you up, here are some questions you can ask yourself. Start by actually setting those boundaries for yourself. What hours did I decide I was going to be available to clients? And if you haven't decided, you can decide that now. Which holidays do I want to take off? Do I want to take Fridays off? Do I want a chunk of time I can take off each year? What about time in the summer or in December? What is my hourly rate for meetings outside of the agreed scope? That's right. I have a certain number of hours that I allow for meetings each month. And if a client wants to go above and beyond that, they pay me a pretty high hourly rate. Because here's the truth of the matter. A lot of meetings don't actually need to happen. They can be emails or quick Voxer messages or check-ins. They don't need to be face-to-face -face or Zoom-to-Zoom. -zoom. And am I going to charge for last minute or rush work? Will I even take it on? And what sort of time frame do I set when it comes to responding to client requests or emails or messages? Is it 24 hours? Is it 48 hours? You get to set the parameters. You get to set the boundaries around that. And if I've missed something, what else do you feel like adding? If you did the time detox questions, you can use those answers to help you craft boundaries that you expect your clients to honor and place them somewhere you can remind yourself of them too. Because remember, you work with your clients, not for them. You are as much a business owner as they are. Your business is providing them a service. All right, let's move on to the last belief. I will never forget being in a staff meeting with the CEO at the head of the table. We'd been tasked with coming up with ideas to diversify the business, bring in new ideas for new customers and keep up with trends in the space. I proposed and developed an entirely new business area from conception right through to execution and hiring the initial team. The CEO loved it. 
then promptly gave it to someone else to manage and oversee. And in fact, that person ended up getting credited with it. I became a footnote. And then after about three months, my involvement was all but forgotten. He went on to get a promotion to director about a year later. Bad management, toxic work environments, mansplaining, being overlooked for promotion, having ideas taken without credit, hurtful criticism. I'm not being salty, believe me. There are so many women who struggle with self-trust and self-belief as a result of toxic workplace culture and examples of what I just explained, the story that I just told. We spend most of our careers feeling like we have to fight for a seat at every single fucking table, fight to have our voices heard. And when we speak up, we're often told to sit down and shut up, right? When you've gone through an entire career of being trained to disregard your intuition, your instinct, your innate knowing, it can really cause you to second guess every single decision you make. Even if you have a pretty good work environment, unless you were the boss or the owner, it's likely you had an entire hierarchy of people who had to approve every single decision you made, maybe even every action you wanted to take, required documentation filled out in triplicate with waivers, who knows? And in business, well, the buck stops with you. There's no subordinate, there's no policy or management directive to blame if things go wrong. Whatever the situation, a lot of us leave the workplace, start our own businesses, and still look for someone to tell us what to do, to tell us what steps to take, how to show up, where to invest, where to look, because it takes the pressure off. It mitigates the fear of being wrong. It takes time to regain that trust in yourself. It takes time to remember that you are fully and wildly capable. And yes, if you can't figure it out, you can find people to help you. You have communities of women who've done and are doing what you've set out to do, and their wisdom, their knowledge, their experience can help you figure out whatever it is you're trying to figure out. But at the end of the day, it's still your business, your values. Your business should be a reflection of your vision, not anyone else's. So yes, the buck will stop with you. And it absolutely should. What actually helped me was finding someone who'd walked the path before me, who knew how hard it was and what some of my roadblocks would be, and helped me see my experience as valid. And from my own perspective, not through the eyes of everyone else who had no context for that experience. And I realized it's because I didn't trust myself. I came into this online working environment and I felt in over my head a lot of the time because people were talking about things I didn't understand because they had their own terminology for them or there were new innovations that were entirely for the entrepreneurial online space. So before I could really detox my self-trust, I had to remind myself how awesome I actually was. So what did I do? I asked myself some of the following questions. What accomplishments am I proud of from my former work life? What did I do that was really, really good, that was really great, that I got accolades for? that I was really proud of? What am I naturally good at? What am I interested in learning about? Who is in my community? Who can I count on as a business bestie? And where can I seek a mentor or advisor who could help me find my voice? And actually, one of the really cool things I did was a couple of years ago, I went back and I actually read over my resume. Your resume is not something you really look at until you're applying for a job, but I saw it in my folder, I took a look at it, and it really reminded me of all the cool, amazing things I had done over the last 20 years. And that really helped remind me that I am capable. And so are you. You're capable, you're smart, you're talented. You are allowed to take time to rediscover yourself and your passion. Because entrepreneurship is one hell of a journey of self-discovery and you don't have to do it alone. One of the best things about working in the online space is the sheer number of incredible, talented and experienced women who have walked the path before you and can help guide you to your new home. The only thing you have to remember is that you don't have to do it that way if it doesn't feel good. In the near future, I'm going to do an episode all about that. 
But for now, just know that if you've been struggling on making decisions for yourself without having to ask for approval and committee from the people around you, self-trust might be something you want to look into. And those are the three beliefs that I really had to detox and overcome. And it's not something that I just worked on once and suddenly everything was better. That mindset is something that I have to work on on a daily basis. Because the reality is building a business isn't just about having clear offers and understanding your pricing or launching or hiring team members. It's proactively thinking about your business and its future. You have a well thought out mission, vision, values for your business. You're the driving force behind the choices that go into it. My business looks totally different today than it did a year ago or three years ago or five years ago because of all the mindset work that I've been doing in conjunction with the foundational work that I do on a daily basis. But it's doing that unsexy work of looking at how our old programming can possibly create blocks for our development as entrepreneurs. That's the work that's going to make a difference. So if you do nothing else after listening to this episode, take an hour and actually schedule time into your calendar to do this this week. Map out your time non-negotiables. Create or at least identify those boundaries now. And like I said, for me, finally blocking off the time between 8 and 10 and 3.30 to 5, it was terrifying because it feels like so much time that I wasn't available to clients to take calls or to sit in meetings. But those are the times where I can focus on my kids. And it took me several years to work up the courage to do that because I'd been waiting for the time to just become available. It never will. And if time and money are not an issue, ask yourself this, what would your ideal day look like? Because my friend, you can have it now and you should. Don't wait until you have the time to have the time one day. You shouldn't have to always work as long and hard in your business as you did in your corporate job because time is not going to just suddenly make itself available one day. And I'm not selling you some four-hour workweek bullshit, but also the reality of you being your own boss is being able to choose when you work, like evenings or weekends, if you want, because you can do that too. This is what I help clients figure out every single day. Their vision, even if they don't know what it is yet, that's okay. You can, you know, we can figure it out together. Don't make yourself wrong for not knowing it. Many of us don't right away, especially with one foot still in the corporate world. You know, if you're just starting your business now, part-time, or even if you've been in business for a few years, it's hard to know what's possible for you and what's realistic when you've never actually been asked that question before, when other people have been making those decisions for you. And right now it can feel really weird and sometimes even wrong. But when you embrace your vision, when you're clear on what it is, and when you're clear on how you want to run your business every single day, these things will pop up and it's important important to be aware of them because being aware means you can start to change them and you can understand what it takes to change them. If you can start to rehabilitate any of those three beliefs this year, I promise things will start to feel so much more aligned and you're going to be in your business with so much more ease. Now, if any of that resonated with you, I invite you to download my free workbook that I talked about earlier, The Top Three Ways Your Career Can Sabotage Your Business. It walks you through all three of those beliefs with prompts and questions that you can ponder or journal on or just read through and try to get more clarity around. I've linked it in the show notes. Download it. It's absolutely free. That's all I want to say this week, that we're all in this together and I've got your back. And this episode is a little bit messier than I had intended, but that's okay, right? That's another thing that I'm having to let go of and detox from from my corporate days, that everything has to be perfect in order to be successful. Embrace the mess, my friend, because honestly, it is so fucking freeing. I will talk to you next time. And remember that you can have success without all that BS. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to the Business Blasphemy Podcast. 
We'll be back next week with a new episode. But in the meantime, help a sister out by subscribing. And if you're feeling extra sassy, rating this podcast. And don't forget to share the podcast with others. Head over to businessblasphemypodcast.com to connect with us and learn more. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have success without the BS.